Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. Leading up to the start of the season, Shiel Kapadia of The Athletic is creating in-depth analytics breakdowns for all 32 of the NFL teams. And he's about a third of the way through the league. And among those first teams was the Seattle Seahawks. And he's here on the show today to talk about it. Shiel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Before we get started, uh, leading up to your last episode of Birds with Friends, you had a couple organizations that you're raising money for. I, I figured I'd ask you what those organizations are, why they're important, and if people are looking to help with causes like those right now, where can they go to help? Yeah, there were uh, there were a couple. One was local. I'm here in Philadelphia, and uh, you know, just with the um, uh, protesting. That was going on. There were some. Uh, there was sort of an area of Philadelphia where some uh, local businesses, uh, you know, took some damage and needed to rebuild a little bit there. So um, that was certainly one of them. And then the other one was for, uh, you know, police reform, uh, pol police brutality. Uh, it was campaign zero. And so uh, those were a couple on my Twitter page. If anybody is interested in them, the one is Fifty uh, Second Street in Philadelphia. And the other one was uh, was Campaign Zero. At Shiel Kapadia, if you want to find him on Twitter. Shiel, as we uh, get started here, I, I noticed that in your latest article, Breaking Down the Seahawks, in your Nerd's Guide to the Seattle Seahawks, you covered the Seahawks for quite a while in Seattle. So many, many Seattle fans know you from your time with ESPN. So I do feel like you're uniquely qualified to not just analyze the team, but analyze the fan base. And I haven't seen this with any of your articles on The Athletic when, when you break down the teams, but why are you organizing Seahawks fans into binary groups here? I see you got category A, category B. What's going on here? Yeah, I, I think it's probably just what you mentioned, that I felt like I had that sort of insight from having been there and covered the team. And it's just what it feels like to me. Certainly, you know, people commented and said, well, we're a little bit of category A, uh, we're a little bit of category B. But I just always felt like, you know, certainly when I was covering the team and since then, uh, since I, you know, have been following them from afar, that there has been this push and pull between a segment of the fan base that feels like, uh, you know, they're not, the organization is not sort of making the most out of Russell Wilson's prime right now and that they could be having more success when they look at some of other teams around the league that have great quarterbacks. And then there's another segment that says, uh, you know, slow down with that. You know, this, this is a, a franchise that didn't do anything from 1989 to 2002. They've had a great run of success. They're in the playoffs every year. Uh, it's hard to win. It's hard to get to the Super Bowl. It's hard to get to the NFC title game. And so uh, that's just what I, I've observed from afar. You and probably uh, many others there can tell me whether that's accurate, not accurate. But uh, I'm sure there are some people who kind of feel that uh, tug from both groups. Well, it does feel like the uh, the the basis for the argument of whether to keep Pete Carroll or move on for Pete Carroll. And I do find myself maybe in that regard leaning more toward category A because, gosh, you know, there's there are a lot of coaches out there that and maybe there are some better coaches. But, gosh, I look at a lot of the coaches and say there's so many worse ones, too. And I really like the idea of going to the playoffs every single year, something that I do feel as a Seahawks fan who's uh, spent majority of my time watching the Holmgren era Seahawks and now the Carroll era Seahawks that, yeah, my my youthful years of watching Seattle, those those were not the good years. You know, I, I cover Carroll, obviously, and he's a great coach. And what I wrote in this article is that, you know, it's interesting because I feel like Pete Carroll has mastered 
the most challenging aspects of being an NFL head coach. I mean, players want to play for him. Uh, they play hard. He's created a great culture. He's done, a, you know, he's been a great leader. He's been a great spokesman, all these different types of things that we don't typically think of. But, you know, normally everyone's looking for, hey, who's the hot shot coordinator or who's coming from college and it's innovator. But the things that Carol does well, like those are really important things that a lot of people struggle with. And, and then it's just the other aspect of it. It's almost more the football strategy stuff. And, you know, believe me, he's for he knows more in, about football in his pinky than I will uh, ever know. So I'm not claiming to. Uh, be an expert there, but just some of the things you look at where you say, man, if he would just uh, could adjust some of these things, maybe be a little bit more flexible with some of his philosophies, maybe that would give the team a greater chance of success uh, to get to another Super Bowl. So it, it certainly is a fascinating conversation with him. Yeah, it is interesting, especially when, I mean, you think back to the days from when he was at USC and then coming to Seattle. The idea of going for it on fourth down more, I think that's a criticism that he's taken a lot, especially over the last two seasons. And he did that a whole lot more when he initially was uh, with the team. And it does seem like, especially if you go back to those early years, 2012, 2013, you know, the ability for the offense to get out quickly against opponents uh, you know, the, the 2012, 2013 and even 2015, those were three of the best seasons, I think, even historically in the NFL. And so I, I do feel like he can get back to that, but he has maybe gotten away from that somewhat over these past couple of years. Yeah, I was just listening, actually, to his uh, the podcast he's doing with Steve Kerr on the ringer and they were talking a little bit about this and he said basically you know a little bit of what you just said that at usc they were going for it all the time and he wants to be aggressive and all these different types of things and i i do you know it does feel like by nature he is uh he is aggressive but you know league-wide the, the data is seems to be pretty clear especially when you have a strong efficient offense that you really can gain an edge by being aggressive in those spots on fourth down and you know he's been one of the more conservative coaches in the nfl in those situations and then you know uh, obviously with passing the football uh as good as russell wilson is as good as they were at passing the football on early downs first and second down when you really have an edge and the defense doesn't know what's coming i mean they were great at passing the ball yet if you look at the percentages uh they did run the ball quite a bit in those situations. So I don't even know that these are dramatic changes. It, it almost feels like if he, you know, he just had a conversation with somebody and became convinced one day that these little tweaks that he could make, I don't know, maybe he has a defense for it and there is a defense for it, but it certainly feels like if there, he could make these little tweaks that, uh, that it would give the Seahawks a little bit more of an edge, which is what he's always looking for. Well, I got to say, though, Sheil, if a couple years ago, I'm a, I'm a Brian Schottenheimer skeptic, or, or I was at least when he was hired by Pete Carroll to run the offense. If you would have told me when Schottenheimer was hired that in 2019 they would have finished fifth in DVOA, you know, measuring their offensive efficiency, I, I think I would have been pretty happy with that. It's always tough for me because, you know, you look at all the Daryl Bevel uh, era offenses and I mean, they were up there every year. I mean, I, I covered them in 2000. You mentioned 2015. 
the second half of that year, I really thought was going to be a turning point. I mean, Russell Wilson was just shredding defenses from the pocket. Uh, the offense had a really good feel to it. They were putting up all kinds of points. Doug Baldwin was on fire. And I thought, okay, this is going to be a turning point for the franchise where they're going to say uh, the quarterback is even better than we thought. We really can build around him and sort of change our identity. And so you are right in that, yeah, they were fifth DVOA with Schottenheimer. But you could certainly make the case, well, it's just like having a quarterback who's as good as Russell Wilson, you know, not that you could put me at offensive coordinator, but if you, you know, could you be as mediocre offensive coordinator and the offense is going to still be really, really efficient because of the quarterback? I mean, I think that's a fair question when you now look at it. He's done it with a couple different offensive coordinators and just the offense, except for maybe, you know, one, maybe two years in there, is just going to be one of the most efficient in the NFL. Well, I think one of the fascinating stats that you point out in your article, Sheil, is Russell Wilson's completion percentage above expectation and the fact that he is fourth among 39 quarterbacks, you know, able to kind of fit it into those tight windows. You think of that that throw to Tyler Lockett in the back of the end zone last year, like who else could have made a throw like that? But then you also point to the other side of it and that he's 37th of 39th when it comes to expected completion percentage. And so that kind of points to the fact that there aren't a lot of those high percentage throws that Russell Wilson is taking. And it really fits with what I've seen in the past of Russell Wilson's kind of, I don't know if it's hesitance or even if it's Pete Carroll's philosophy of just that idea of not going with the easy check down option and always trying to gun it down the field for those explosive plays. Yeah, those are some, some next gen stats that are sort of fun to play with. And you know, the one that you mentioned is expected completion percentage and basically what they do is they look at every throw and they say how far was the throw how much pressure was the quarterback under how close was the nearest defender where on the field was it and then they can come up with a number all right that type of pass is completed uh whatever 65 percent of the time and so they can come up by looking at those data points you know with all these uh trackers they can come up with these data points for every throw and they can look at an offense and say, well, what should the quarterback's completion percentage have been uh, here based on that data set? And then what was it actually? So was he, you know, completing a higher percentage of passes than should be expected or a lower percentage? And it's just what you mentioned. You know, he's, he's really attempting a lot of high degree of difficulty throws when you compare to it uh, league wide, whether. Uh, it's anecdotally, you know, you might watch a team like the Chiefs and certainly Patrick Mahomes makes some great throws. But then you also probably would look at it and say, wow, they scheme some stuff up and there are some plays where receivers are just wide open. I, I know certainly with the 49ers, you could make the case that uh, that's what it is with Kyle Shanahan. When you watch their games, it feels like they're scheming up these explosive plays. And for the Seahawks, I mean, the numbers suggest that a lot of it is just the quarterback being really good. I do feel like Russell Wilson is now consistently recognized among the top quarterbacks in the league, and I think they have an opportunity to lean on him even more. And coming up after the break, let's talk about how Russell Wilson's pass efficiency on early downs shows an area where the team could benefit from a tweak. So I want to get into that with you and also talk about some of the interesting stats you found on defense coming up next. I'm joined by Shiel Kapadia of The Athletic. Let's talk a little bit more about early down pass efficiency for the Seahawks. Back in 2018, they were at the bottom of the league for the amount the team passed on first and second down. 
They brought that frequency up in 2019, but it's still in the bottom third of the league. And I'll quote Shiel from the article where you say, there's a strong case to be made. The Seahawks would benefit from putting the ball in Wilson's hands on first down. Why is that? Yeah, I mean, it, it was just based on the numbers. It's one of the most it was one of the most like productive plays in football was calling a passing down a passing play with Russell Wilson on first or second down. And, um, you know, in terms of scheme, it, it could certainly be that uh, opponents look at it. They look at the Seahawks tendencies. They're thinking run on first down. Maybe they're staying in their base defense. Maybe they're not, you know, going to their nickel or their dime packages. They're thinking we can stop the run because they have a high tendency there. So you're in an advantageous position. And then it's just that, you know, he, he's re- basically whenever he throws the football, you're in a pretty good situation. So if you can give him a little bit of an edge there, it really can be uh, an advantage. So, uh, I mean, it just suggests that they should be you know, some of the teams near the top of the league. You look at it like the Chiefs, the Saints are, you know, among the top five. When you have a quarterback who's so accurate and is so good at not produce negative plays and not turning the ball over with interceptions, it's not a high risk play to call those high percentage passes uh, early, you know, on first and second down. And you you do point that out, but also with the pass block win rate, you take that into account and that only being 28th, uh, you, you point out that he's hit or sacked 30th out of 34 quarterbacks. And I think that's why we saw a lot of that in 2018 is that they would they would attempt to throw on first down in 2018 and then Russell would end up sacked or the offensive line would commit a penalty and they'd be in those first and 15 and you know the second and 20 type situations often and they couldn't find themselves any way to dig out of those holes and uh, well especially when you know Pete would end up running on second and 20 sometimes but uh, I I think that they're trying to work through that. And I, I guess I'm just having a hard time of, of what they need to do to, to tweak some of those areas to make them more productive so they don't kind of fall back into where they found themselves in 2018. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think then you're getting into sort of a roster building thing. You right. know, it's, it's that, well, all right, maybe they were doing that with that roster. Should they have invested more in the offensive line instead of bringing you know, Jaron Reed back on that contract, should they have upgraded somewhere on the offensive line? They're projected three new starters, but yet you don't really have a sense of, well, are they, are they actually going to be any better than they were on the offensive line a year ago? And I mean, this conversation has been going on for it feels like a decade now uh, about the offensive line. I mean, with the sacks, it's a fair point. I think Russell Wilson will, will probably always take, uh, you know, a, above above league average percentage of sacks because he's trying to extend plays uh, and he's very good at that and he's making plays where he's scrambling and finding receivers downfield so you know I'm sure there's sort of a study to be done there but uh, anecdotally it feels like it's okay if you take some of those sacks he kind of makes up for it but then on the other hand you know that stat you mentioned which is pass block win rate you know all that has to do is does the protection hold up for two and a half seconds or does it not hold up for two and a half seconds? There's nothing else to it. So, you know, it doesn't matter if the quarterback's holding on the ball, scrambling, extending the plays. It doesn't take any of that uh, into account. It's just about that first two and a half seconds. Does the uh, pass blocking give the quarterback enough time? And like you mentioned, I mean, they ranked near the bottom of the league in that. They were 28th last year. So, um, you know, it, it, 
if you're making the argument that it's not so much Russell Wilson's fault, and uh, you know, those sacks and that they should just be doing a better job on the offensive line. Well, there's a uh, statistical evidence to kind of back that up. Well, and that is where I have a hard time. And I think even Pete Carroll realized at the end of last season that he's having a hard time with it too. What exactly is the problem? You know, is it this philosophy of going for the big play that's making Russell hold on to the ball a little bit longer? Are they not scheming guys to be open within that two and a half seconds to where Russell can unload the ball quickly? Or do they just not have the talent to get open that quickly with with the personnel that they have on the team? So it is there are a lot of pieces where it, I have so many questions. And like you said, with the, so many changes on the offensive line uh, and not a lot of uh, other components, you know, bringing in Carlos Hyde, I suppose, in the offseason. But but none of those pieces, I feel like where you can point to and say this is a change to address that particular issue going into this next season. Yeah, I think it just goes into the whole mindset. You know, you you mentioned, all right, you get into whatever second and 16, second and 17. And then you can, you run the ball, that kind of thing. I mean, you know, those plays, if you feel like, all right, those those sacks might happen, those negative plays might happen. I mean, certainly you can work on that. Um, you know, there there are a, a certain percentage of plays where he, Russell Wilson does get rid of the football early. He's actually middle of the pack in terms of the percentage of quick throws that he makes. So maybe you bake more of those into the offense. Maybe you work with him on, Hey, if it's, you know, first down and we're calling a pass, uh, let's get rid of it or let's make sure we're, you know, taking off for, uh, a couple yards. And that way we're avoiding those negative plays. You know, I, I think the frustration for certain Seahawks fans comes in when you look at a team like, um, the chiefs or some of these other offenses and you just sort of picture, all right, if Russell Wilson were in that offense, or if the Seahawks tried to build that type of offense, would they be an offensive juggernaut and would they have a better chance at winning a Super Bowl? And it feels like the answer to those questions are yes. So I think that's sort of where the uh, struggle comes in or maybe even some of the frustration comes in. All right, Chio. Well, I want to talk offensive line here a little bit more. And you point out in your article, three new starters on the offensive line. You got BJ Finney penciled in at center, Damian Lewis, their third round pick at right guard, Brandon Shell at right tackle. But you know, for for you, Sheil, a guy who has covered the Eagles, I, I kind of want to know why no Chance Warmack in the starting lineup. Well, you know, he was out of football uh, last year, right? So you're right. Uh, really com- coming at it in a, a situation where, uh, you know, if the league sort of didn't view him as a player who should be on a roster uh, last year, how much is he going to have left? And even when he was on the Eagles uh, the year before, I mean, this was a backup player. Uh, you know, a backup guard who filled in at times. Uh, you know, I, I think he was someone that coaches and teammates liked. He was a good guy in the locker room, but he wasn't a guy that you wanted as an every down starter, certainly better as a run blocker than he is in pass protection. Not, you know, did not look like the most athletic guy in terms of pass protection. So, you know what? Maybe he'll surprise. There are crazy stories in the NFL every year. Um, but that was just sort of what I was going off. Of. Oh, well, I was hoping you were, were going to give me some upside for optimism, but it, it doesn't sound like it's there. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> well, you do point out uh, in your article that the Seahawks, they were in 12 personnel, uh, 11% of the time. So that's with the, the two tight ends, which uh, was the second most popular grouping for the Seahawks last year. With the addition of Greg Olson, and if I, if you think about having a healthy Will Disley in the lineup, do you think we're going to see an increase in that in 2020? It's tough. I mean, the, you know, it wasn't, uh, like you said, it wasn't a high percentage of plays, but when they did play with 12 personnel, 
they were pretty good. Um, you know, Greg Olson is a tough one to me. It, it sort of goes back to the conversation we were having there on the offensive line. You know, was that the best use of resources to pay $7 million uh, to a 35-year-old tight end? I mean, it's really uh, it's tough when you're at that age for a tight end. A lot of guys have not had huge seasons. So, and then with Will Disley, I mean, you know, it's a big if, if he stays healthy. So uh, I think it's something if they have all their personnel available to them, they can look at. I think you have to see what you get out of Philip Dorsett and some of these other receivers that are on the roster. Certainly you could move towards more 11 personnel. So uh, I don't know that one is necessarily better than the other for them. You know, I don't think it's a thing where, hey, Russell Wilson is better in this personnel grouping than the other. I think you just have to sort of figure out who the best players are and specifically does a third wide receiver emerge that can really be uh, pretty good for you. Cause you've got two good ones there. Then you might even play with more 11 personnel. It, it was interesting seeing some of the statistics of them having you know, pretty decent success with the 12 personnel on the field. I know that Pete Carroll wants to be good at running the football. It's something that he said that's important to his philosophy. It's that just the idea of of having that capability to dominate opponents in the run game. You mentioned the Flying Coach Show. He's talked about it on that, too. So I don't feel like Coach Carroll is going to give up on that philosophy. But, you know, if it's if it's tweaks in personnel, I, I just I'm, I'm looking for the area that we can maybe expect some tweaks from. And so if it's maybe it's not in terms of personnel, where do you see that coming from? I mean, it's tough. I, I don't know that they're going <laughs> to look all that different, to be to be honest with you. I mean, like you said, I don't see them uh, dramatically changing things about their scheme. And again, this, you know, this was, not, this was a very efficient offense. They scored a lot of points last year. It's just a feeling of have they sort of, is there a ceiling out there that's higher than what they, you know, give themselves uh, the opportunity to achieve really is what it comes down to me. But, you know, I think the personnel is pretty good. I think they're a little thin at wide receiver. Um, certainly the offensive line is going to be a question mark with three new starters. I think they'll be able to uh, certainly run the ball fine with Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde. And so, uh, you know, they're going to be a competitive team. They're going to be in the mix. It's it's just a mess. So, so I don't really see this as a year where they say, all right, we have to make wholesale changes. I don't think they look at it that way. Yeah. One other thing that really jumped out at me in your article, Sheil, you you said it's nice to have the ability to come back, but it's also fair to wonder whether the Seahawks could strategically be doing more early in games to not put themselves in those situations. And as a Seahawks fan, it just I think that's been one of the most frustrating things these past two seasons. I mean, it's don't get me wrong. It's been nice that they've been able to make it to the playoffs these last two seasons, especially after rebuilding after the Legion of Boom years. But the idea that they just uh, they seem to be counting on Russell Wilson to come back in late late in games. It uh, it can wear on you uh, <laughs> in, over the over the years. Yeah, they're never boring. Uh, they're always going to play. Uh, entertaining games. There's no doubt about that. But, uh, you know, like I wrote in there, when you look at just sort of, you know, the different stats about when a team is tied or trailing in the fourth quarter, no quarterback did more last year than Russell Wilson. And man, if ever there was, it's always nice when one of the statistics passes the eye test where you say, wow, that's exactly what it looked like to me when I watched them. Uh, you know, of all these uh, pieces I've done on, like you mentioned, nearly a third of the league now, that might have been the one where I said, you know what, that matches up exactly to what I feel like when I when I watch them play. 
Well, we have spent a lot of time talking offense. Was there anything in particular interesting that jumped out as you were looking at the Seahawks defense? Yeah, you know, I was surprised by a couple things. I know one of them was just the way they use their personnel and staying in their base defense. This is like totally, you know, I'm doing all these other teams and the trend is totally in the opposite direction. I mean, there are teams like the Ravens, the Patriots, the Packers, where they're trying to limit so much how, how often they're in their base defense with three off-ball linebackers. And the Seahawks were in the opposite direction where no one was in their base defense more than the Seahawks. But what was interesting is that they held out, you know, you would think, all right, a team stays in its base defense while opponents are just going to throw the football all over them. You know, that's the trend we've seen. But they actually held up really well in their base defense. And so that's a, you know, I, I never try to speak about any of this stuff with like an arrogance or, Hey, I know it all, or I know better than the coaches. And that's one where I looked at it and said, all right, well, they knew what they were doing there in terms of, you know, they didn't have a nickel cornerback that they liked a lot. They knew Michael Kendricks is a really athletic linebacker. He's not like a, a two down, um, you know, downhill thumping linebacker. He's someone who can really run. And so that actually worked out really well for them. Now, I, I don't think that's a situation where, hey, that's how they want to play. They want to stay in their base. I think that's really a situation of coaches knowing their personnel, saying what's going to give us the best chance to win. They did it last year. Certainly it could be different uh, this year if they like their nickel personnel a little bit better. Well, the one stat on defense that jumped out at me, the fact that they were second worst in EPA against QB scrambles. And it kind of made me wonder if that's why they lean toward drafting a guy like Jordan Brooks and why uh, finding a linebacker early on was important to them. Yeah, that's always a tough one for me because, um, you know, I, I didn't want to read too much into that. It's an interesting stat, but then you think like, well, if you play Lamar Jackson and you play Kyler Murray, too, you know what I mean? It, sure. it, it sort of sometimes <laughs> depends. Like if you play four or five games against guys who can really run and who are really good at scrambling, it can affect those numbers. But you are right. I mean, you know, you would think about uh, the second level of that defense and whether it's box safeties or off-ball linebackers. And the one thing about the Seahawks is they play a lot of zones. So typically that's more difficult for scrambling quarterbacks because all the defenders have their eyes towards the line of scrimmage and you take off and they see you right away and they can, you know, leave their responsibilities and try to tackle you. Whereas if you're in man coverage and you're focused on the person you're, you're covering and you know, you're face guarding them or you're running downfield, those are the teams that typically get hurt by those QB scrambles. So uh, I thought that was interesting and something to watch. He's Shiel Kapadia of The Athletic. Be sure and check out A Football Nerd's Guide to the Seattle Seahawks in the 2020 season. And like you mentioned, eight of those up right now. More to come with that. Shiel, really want to thank you for coming on and talking about the Seahawks on the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Follow him on Twitter at Shiel Kapadia. Hopefully, if you've been a Seahawks fan for more than a few years, you're still following him on Twitter. So if you want to check out those causes he's helping to raise money for, theenterprisecenter.com is the local effort, and Join Campaign Zero is working on the larger effort of ending police violence. Joincampaignzero.org. A big thanks to Shiel once again for coming on. Check out his story on the Seahawks, on The Athletic, and also all the other teams as well. It's a good way to kind of get caught up on where some of the teams are dominant and where some of the struggling teams have an opportunity to improve going into 2020. So check that out there. Also check out fieldgoals.com. Lots of stuff coming up this week. We are going to be busy this offseason. Mookie Alexander was busy over the weekend, had an enemy reaction throwback from that Saints game against the Seahawks on Monday Night Football. A lot of fun to go back and look at that game. 
Also talking about some big decisions the Seahawks could be making in their secondary. Check that out, fieldgoals.com. I'll be back here with more Seahawks talk throughout the offseason. Subscribe to the show, sbnation.com slash NFL podcasts. And until next time, go Hawks. Go Hawks.